Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. The Queen of England has died. In other news, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about you, but uh, that's a pair of phrases I haven't heard together this week. I, uh, I can understand the British news outlets going dead head of state 24-7. After all, it was their state that lost its head. The U.S. situation seems more of a, like a revival of a cable news strategy from a couple decades ago. After CNN experienced a ratings boost during the Gulf War, the prevailing wisdom there, and at its soon-to-arrive competitors, was that one big story was better for audience retention than the usual smorgasbord of events. That's a policy you might recall led to round-the-clock CNN coverage a few years ago of a cruise ship where all the passengers got sick. More uh, surprising, maybe, was uh, finding a similar focus on the death of a British monarch on Al Jazeera. Colonialism, I guess, dies hard. Speaking of which, there were a couple of uh, rabbit holes on Twitter where the late Elizabeth II was roundly criticized as a brutal colonizer. Now, uh, obviously, there were certainly people in her extended family going back that fit that description. But uh, last time I checked, by the time her head bore the crown, England was shutting down the empire, doing it in the clumsiest possible way, it should be uh, noted. The last half of the last century, in fact, was marked by the continuing violence that followed Britain's messy exits from India and the Middle East and, to a lesser extent, Africa. But uh, also, by the time Elizabeth was bequeened, the royals had long since been separated from the operations and the policies of the British gunmen. The people who tweeted those comments about her being a brutal colonizer probably thought she died at the age of 196. One of the things that, uh, as an American, I found fascinating about her reign was the actual job title she held. Head of state. In Britain, as in most uh, Western democracies, that job sits atop or right beside the uh, job of head of government. They're very different and very separate jobs. The head of state is supposed to be a unifying symbol of the country, unlike the head of government who lives full-time in the dark, swirling soup of politics. We, we don't have that set up. Here in the good old U.S., the presidency embodies both jobs, which is why the U.S. president so often attracts such a bizarre combination of vicious attacks and wide-eyed devotion. But most of those other Western democracies have also finished the job of separating head of state duties from the trap and the trappings of monarchy while in England royalty may even be approaching the point of paying for itself, it has become the nation's premier tourist attraction. We here in the States sometimes tend to look down on the fantasy entourage of king and queen being blessed as we are with Donald, Mickey, and Goofy. 
Other things, yeah, did happen this week. Ukraine began taking back territory from the Russians. Republicans were reported to be backing away from their most extreme anti-abortion legislative proposals. Somalia was sliding into famine. And Harry Styles either did or didn't spit on Chris Pine. But the Queen of Great Britain and the Commonwealth died. Other news for the rest of the hour. Hello, welcome to the show.
From New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersalt, the third. Okay, too many trumpets already. A bribery scandal engulfing last summer's Tokyo Games has thrown a dark cloud over Sapporo in Japan. It's bid for the 2030 Winter Olympics. And it's raised fresh questions in Japan about hosting the Olympics again. Former Tokyo 2020 executive Haruyuki Takahashi was arrested on suspicion of bribery last month. More allegations were leveled against him last week in a widening investigation into corruption at the heart of the games. That's that way I just paused for you to say, oh no. The scandal comes at a bad time for the city of Sapporo in the north of Japan, bidding to host the 2030 Winter Olympics. Sapporo did that in 1972 seen as a front-runner to repeat despite competition from Vancouver and Salt Lake City. 
Let's do it again. The uh, mayor of Sapporo, Mayor Akimoto, and the Japanese Olympic Committee President Yamashita were scheduled to be, uh, visit the International Olympic Committee headquarters later this month, but uh, it's canceled its visit to uh, IOC headquarters in mid-September over scheduling difficulties with both parties. Akimoto said it had nothing to do with the bribery case surrounding the Tokyo Olympics, but the controversy has topped the headlines in Japan's leading newspapers. Prosecutors have carried out fresh raids. Get your fresh raids right here in recent days. Takahashi is a former senior managing director of the Japanese advertising giant Dentsu. Let's uh, hail our advertising giant, shall we? Hey, do you notice they stopped advertising during the uh, mourning period for the Queen? Let's mourn all year, shall we? Um, he, the former senior managing director of Dentsu, Mr. Takahashi, is suspected of accepting bribes in return for helping companies become official Tokyo game sponsors. Former and current executives from a business suit retailer, Aoki Holdings, and a major publishing firm, Kadokawa, have also been arrested. Local media reports say Takahashi has claimed he gave money to then-Tokyo 2020 president Mori, a former Japanese prime minister. The controversy has helped rekindle anti-Olympic sentiment in Japan, which saw a swell of opposition to holding the Tokyo Games in the middle of a pandemic. The Asahi Shimbun newspaper urged Sapporo to hold off on its 2030 bid until the scandal had been resolved. It said the Japanese public view the Olympics with mistrust and suspicion. But experts are doubtful the scandal will have any impact when the IOC comes to choosing a 2030 host. The city is ever more reluctant to assume the expense and controversy of the Games, according to Agence France-France. The IOC cannot afford to be picky. Who can these days, ladies and gentlemen? Certainly not the Olympics. It's a movement, and we all need one. Every day. Whoa. And it really is enough, enough trumpets for a few moments at least, ladies and gentlemen. Um... Maybe time for news of the godly, uh, and it and this week's news of the godly takes place right here on this council. No, right here in New Orleans, Louisiana. A federal bankruptcy judge. What does he have to do with God? Has ordered the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of New Orleans to stop paying retirement benefits to five priests who've been excu- accused of sexually abusing minors or vulnerable adults. Well, that's fair, but are not included on a list of more than 70 clergy that the local church considers, quote, credibly accused, unquote. They'll be the judge of that, apparently. No, the judge says he'll be the judge of that. Judge Meredith Graybill, uh, to be specific, he issued the order at the end of last month, rejecting the argument of the local Catholic church that it should be allowed to keep paying monthly stipends to priests, deacons, and lay staff 
Those are the people who work for Jerry Lewis, I think. Lay staff who face claims of sexual abuse in sealed documents that were turned over to the court by the Archdiocese earlier this year. From the very beginning of its bankruptcy case in May two years ago, the Archdiocese, that's who's going bankrupt or filing for bankruptcy, it argued that while it needed protection from dozens of pending sexual abuse lawsuits, help the lawsuits, it should be allowed to keep paying retirement benefits to all living clergy, including those on the credibly accused list, released. Yes, there's a pause here while I attempt to fish out while I'm missing a page. Released sometime ago by Archbishop Amond in November 2018. The list has been updated with additional names in the years since. Graybill, the judge, quickly ruled in 2020 that living clergy on the Archdiocese's official list should not continue to get stipends known as maintenance payments. Medical coverage could continue. But, uh, you know, if if a priest on that list wanted to uh, get a maintenance payment, you know, fixes fix his own stairs. Then, in February, Grable ordered the church to produce additional internal records from the past 10 years, including personnel files, review board findings, and law enforcement referrals related to all local priests or lay persons accused of sexual abuse, whether they appeared on the credibly accused list or were the subject of a sex abuse claim filed in the bankruptcy case. These records were filed with the court under seal. When attorneys representing sex abuse victims saw the records, they argued that they substantiate credible accusations of sexual abuse committed by five priests who were never included by the archbishop on the credibly accused list and therefore continued to receive full retirement benefits. Grable says those payments must now stop, essentially finding that those priests must wait in line for their claims to be paid, just like the abuse victims and other church creditors. Quote, we continue to evaluate the court's decision in this matter, but currently have no other comment, said the diocese. The five priests whose stipends must end are not named. There, uh, there are names keep, that are keep continuing to be added to the list, a, a deacon in Metairie, just uh, to the west of New Orleans, who was criminally charged in December with molesting a preteen boy in the early 2000s, and a uh, priest, Reverend Louis Fernandez, who's retired in South Florida. That's some, that's some good retiring, and declined to answer questions about um, claims by one of his former high school students accusing him of molesting him in the 1970s. That's when molesting was good. The church tried to argue its responsibility to take care of retired priests and deacons is not governed by U.S. federal law, but by the church's own rules, known as canon law. That'd be a nice setup, wouldn't it? Yeah, I got my own law right here. It's um, it's not canon law, but it's, uh, you know, I guess shotgun law would be as close as you could. Um, the church argued that the clergy would only lose their retirement benefits if they were laicized. Zap. You are laicized. Um, that's, of course, a process where you're stripped 
of your, your vestments, among other things, your powers and your vestments. The archbishop said he could remove priests and deacons from ministry, but he couldn't forcibly laicize those who don't voluntarily agree to leave the priesthood or the deaconate. I do like saying deaconate. Uh, the, um, that could easily only be done by the Vatican, he says. The judge rejected the archdiocese's argument that she was, therefore, overstepping her authority by, you know, representing real law as opposed to canon law. News of the Godly, ladies and gentlemen. It is a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. There's uh, some good news of our friend the Adam. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too safe to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. The news is actually shorter than th- than that bit. Um, we learned that uh, today, I think, or this weekend that they are closing down the nuclear plant in Zaporizhia in Ukraine, where Russian soldiers have been hanging out since the war began in uh, March, uh, posing an increasing threat to the world, just to the world, um, as the plant continued to be either the object or the source of shelling. Not shocking, shelling. Uh, And as I say, they have reached an agreement now to uh, shut the plant down, which should lessen the danger to uh, what would it be? Oh yeah, to all mankind. We're going to review a couple things that have gone on during this past few months on this broadcast, one of which we learned that among the more risible habits over the former occupant of the White House. This came out, I believe, in the testimony of uh, Miss Hutchinson before the January 6th committee. We learned that one of the less well-known habits, as I say, of the former occupant of the White House was throwing his food at the wall. When I was a child Sometimes I'd get wild When friends came over to call If I was too sleepy Too angry or weepy I'd just throw my food at the wall I was a big business baron Screaming and swearing When it was hard to get a rival to deal So I'd get him in a room With no napkin or broom And just miss his puss with my meal Mayonnaise and ketchup You don't expect on the wall You're there for a big meeting You don't know who to call Screaming and yelling Great for setting the mood But nothing packs a wallop 
like throwing my food. When I'm in the Oval, my code name is Mogul, doing whatever I like is my job. Except the Secret Service starts acting real nervous about me going down and joining a mob. So I go back home, do some work with the comb, and then get a pretty good punch. I do an old hands call, get my agents near the wall, and then I wallop them with my lunch. Mayonnaise and ketchup you don't expect on the wall. You're there for a big meeting you don't know who to call. Screaming and yelling are great for setting the mood. But nothing packs a wallop like winding up and throwing my food. In the old days, I'd call Michael Cohn and you and your ass would be sued. But I got tired of lawyers, so now I just throw my food. My food. Now news of Nice Corp. Nice people doing nice things. Well, something nice has happened there. Rupert uh, Murdoch and his son Lachlan are getting paid less this year. No comment on the work they've been doing. They saw their compensation packages at Fox Corporation trimmed in the fiscal year that ended end of June. Rupert, chairman of Fox, uh, got $18.4 million last year. His pay package. That was down from 31.1. Lachlan, Fox's executive chairman. Rupert is Fox's chairman, and Lachlan, his son, is, is, is the executive chairman. No, I don't either. And CEO received a 21.7 million pay package, down from 27.7 a, mere, a, a year earlier. So if you want to send a card, now's the time. Speaking of um, creepy creatures, Pismo Beach, California, no, they're not the ones. The, um, there's a clam, the Pismo clam, inspired this, the city's name. The, um, the clam has a uh, not really been around Pismo Beach the last few years. And then this year, the mollusk has mysteriously returned. And city officials are uh, rejoicing. We're starting to see an explosion in population, says Jorge Garcia, the assistant city manager. That was something the community hadn't seen in 30 years. It was a main source of food for the native Chumash Along the California coast, the clam is a vital part of Pismo Beach's identity. It can be found along beaches throughout the California coast. Not in Santa Monica, but historically it was especially abundant 
in Pismo Beach, which uh, in the 1940s, either somebody called it or it called itself the clam capital of the world. Pismo clam can live as long as 50 years and grow to 7 inches. The Pismo clam is pretty distinct, said a, an environmental scientist with California Fish and Wildlife. It has such a shiny, pretty cell, shell. They're super thick, almost like a rock. And you'd eat it? No, he didn't say that. Clamming was a popular activity at the turn of the 20th century. Commercial clamming ceased in the 40s. Recreational clamming continued for decades, thinning the population. The clams dispersed in the late 80s, says an environmental scientist. The Splash Cafe, one of Pismo Beach's most popular eateries, started to rely on imported clams for its chowder. Chowder. The parade at the annual Pismo Beach Clam Festival features locals in clam suits. Ladies and gentlemen, gift shops sell clam-themed items, and clam art adorns the city. I think it w it's part of what makes Pismo unique, Garcia said. I'd say the clown su the clam suits alone. In 2016, the city sponsored research conducted by a biology professor and his students at nearby Cal Poly, hoping they might find a way to resurrect the clams by spawning them with science. She spawned me with science. Remember that song? But then, as the research was ongoing, something unexpected happened. The clams just returned. Perhaps millions of them starting three or four years ago. In the fall of 21, people started seeing them on the beach. This summer, the clams were so abundant, surfers shuffling in the water could feel them under their feet like cobblestones. Quote, we're not sure why there were no clams, and then suddenly there's this major recruitment event, said a professor and researcher at Concordia University in Irvine.
Desert isn't free with her secrets. She's a silent bird. I asked the Sphinx for the answer. It said, Mum's the word. So I'll catch those hands of our train and sleep till I'm waking by rain. And I'm back in old England again. Once more. Because it's called Clam Caravan, that's why. From New Orleans, this is Le Show. And now, news of the warm. Won't you? I think to think you will. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. Oh, I was busy listening. The agency tasked with monitoring weather and climate for the European Union announced this week that the continent of Europe experienced its hottest summer ever recorded this very year. A toast. No, it's too hot for... The wine melted. Uh, Globally, I said, Tom, what did I say? Globally. Yeah, that's it. The Copernicus Climate Change Service reported the third hottest August on record. Didn't match higher averages experienced in 2016 and 2019. The uh, agency's monthly reports and climate bulletins are based on observations of global surface air temperatures, sea ice cover, and hydrological variables using computer-based analysis of billions of measurements from land, sea, and space-based instruments. The 2220 2022 summer in much of Western Europe was marked by abnormally intense and prolonged heat waves. Average temperature of Europe was substantially higher than previously recorded. Average temperature of 1.44 degrees Fahrenheit above the previous record sent two years earlier. The entire summer was 0.72 Fahrenheit warmer than last year. The previous record. There's a trend. There's a trend going on here. And no, I know they don't use Fahrenheit. Among the other anomalies this summer was a recorded temperature of 90 degrees at Banak, Norway in June. Banak is in the Arctic Circle, for those of you who don't know. That is to say, the same month, the temperature hit 105.8 Fahrenheit in Rochefort, Rochefort, France. So you know the cheese melted. No, Rochefort, sorry. Different different fort. The agency noted the warmer conditions affected energy, infrastructure, agriculture, and transportation, as well as the intensity and spread of wildfires. What is this, California? On September 5th, the agency reported Europe's wildfires this summer caused the highest levels of gas emissions in 15 years. 
That's got to be good for the climate. And uh, scientists have issued an urgent warning to humanity about the global impact of tree extinctions. New paper predicts severe consequences for people, wildlife, and the planet's ecosystems if the widespread loss of trees continues. Quote, last year we published the State of the World's Trees Report, where we showed at least 17,000 tree species, about a third of the world's 60,000, are at risk of extinction. That's the uh, word from Malin Rivers, lead author of the paper, head of conservation prioritization at Botanic Gardens Conservation International. Now we want to highlight, he says, why it matters that so many tree species are getting extinct. Without acting now, he continues, it will impact humanity, our economies, and livelihoods. Ecologically, it will have a catastrophic impact on the planet, unquote. The warning is backed by 45 scientists from more than 20 countries. Your UK, your US, your India, your Haiti. Calls for action signed by more than 30 organizations, including botanic gardens, arboretums. Shouldn't it be arboreta? Ah, arboreta. And universities. According to the paper, the world's forests contribute $1.3 trillion to the global economy. Let's thank the trees, shall we? Timber is the most valuable commodity that uh, trees contribute by letting us kill them. But fruits, nuts, medicine create $88 billion in global trade. Of the fruit available for global consumption, 53% comes from trees. So don't let people tell you fruit doesn't grow on trees. It does. More than 1.6 billion people live within 5 kilometers of a forest and rely on them for jobs and money. In developing countries, forests provide up to 25% of household income. They sell things they collect or make from the forest, says Rivers. When tree species are lost, that cultural heritage of spiritual or cultural meaning is also lost. Like the dragon's blood trees in Yemen. Did you know about them? (laughs) The large-scale extinction of tree species would lead to major biodiversity losses. Half of the world's animal and plant species rely on trees as their habitat. Forests contain about 75% of bird species, 68% of mammal species, and as many as 10 million species of invertebrates. We don't like those, do we? No backbone? Fewer dependent, forest-dependent species have already declined by about 53% since 1970. When we look at extinction risks for mammals or birds, underlying that is habitat loss, and habitat loss is often tree loss, points out Rivers. If we don't look after trees, there's no way we can look after all the other life there. Well, trees aren't looking after us. Come on now. The extinction of a single tree species can significantly alter an ecosystem, causing a domino effect in its ability to function. When eucalyptus and dipterocarp trees are destroyed, for example. Forests are more at risk from fire, pests, and disease. Forests provide 50% of the world's carbon storage. All right, then. You got me. Let's try to keep the forests. More than uh, 100 tree species are already extinct in the wild. This is all from The Guardian. But despite their importance, billions of trees are still being lost each year to pests, disease, invasive species, drought, 
climate breakdown, and industrial-scale deforestation for wood, cattle farming, palm, palm oil, and other agriculture from tropical islands to species-rich areas such as the Amazon. Are they still in Amazon? I thought we lost that. And Borneo. Okay. Let's, let's all join hands and uh, save the trees. What do you say? Come on, we can do it. We can do it on our spare time. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart, smart world. So we'd like to know, theoretically, we, how much info Facebook is collecting on us and where it's keeping the info. There's a lawsuit ongoing over the mishandling of private user information stemming from the Cambridge Analytica scandal way back when. So there's a hearing a couple of years ago, the transcript is just released, aimed at resolving the issue of what information does Facebook store about us and where is it? The engineers who testified said, they don't know. This is from The Intercept. The admissions occurred during a hearing with a special master. Hey, so there is one. At a, a court-appointed subject matter expert tasked with resolving a disclosure impasse. The... Um, company was asked to provide an exhaustive, definitive accounting of where personal data might be stored in some 55 Facebook subsystems. Two veteran Facebook engineers with uh, two decades of experience between them, according to LinkedIn, struggled to even venture what may be stored in Facebook's subsystem. Subsystems. Quote, I'm just trying to understand at the most basic level what we're looking at, said uh, the questioner. I don't believe there's a single person that exists who, who could answer that question, replied Eugene Zarashaw, a Facebook engineering director. It would take a significant team effort to even be able to answer that question. When asked about how Facebook might track down every bit of data associated with a given user account, he was stumped again. It would take multiple teams on the ad side to track down exactly where the data flows, I would be surprised if there's even a single person that can answer that narrow question conclusively. The dispute over Facebook data occurs, occurs arose when the litigation, now in its fourth year, Facebook was ordered to turn over information it had collected about the plaintiffs in the suit against Cambridge Analytica. But wait, there's more. You perhaps remember from uh, a year or two ago, a year or two ago, I think it was a year or two ago, that uh, El Salvador declared that Bitcoin was legal tender. Love me, tender. Legal tender, I say. A year ago that happened. The uh, 
world's first cryptocurrency was going to be built there. It's It was going to be a circular metropolis powered by a volcano, don't you know? It's still just dense jungle, according to Reuters. The president had promised that Bitcoin City <laughs> would be a tax haven for crypto investors and miners equipped with an airport, residential and commercial areas, and a central plaza designed to look like a Bitcoin from the sky. Quote, invest here and make all the money you want, said the president, wearing a backward baseball cap in front of hundreds of Bitcoin enthusiasts in November of last year. But Reuters found no heavy machinery, construction workers, or raw materials to indicate any progress towards building the city, grand symbol of Bitcoin. To many, it has become instead a symbol of as fully as a symbol of folly, as Bitcoin has crashed. This experiment has been very risky, too risky, risky for a poor country," said the director of Institute of Science, Technology, and Innovation at Francisco Garvidia University. It has been seen that Bitcoin is a highly, very specta- speculative, highly variable financial asset. He said a major part of the problem is that the drop in the value of the Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies has alienated investors. When uh, El Salvador, one of the poorest countries in Latin America, I'm just saying, adopted Bitcoin as legal tender, literally just about a year ago, the cryptocurrency was worth, quotes, 47000 now trading at around 19000 The government has declined to comment but has defended doubling down on Bitcoin, including acquiring 2300 for the government, saying they got a long-term plan. Bitcoin policy has attracted investment, reduced bank commissions to zero, increased tourism, and promoted financial inclusion, says the government. But the price drop has elevated the country's financial risk, complicated search, for funds to pay $1.6 billion of sovereign bonds due in 2023 and 25, The International Monetary Fund has called on El Salvador to reverse Bitcoin's status as legal tender, citing financial, economic, and legal concerns complicating a possible deal with a lender to help them pay their bonds, debts. The use of the cryptocurrency has also failed to catch on. Neither the presidency nor the Ministry of Finance would share figures on the use of Bitcoin through the government's Bitcoin digital wallet. A survey of the National Bureau of Economic Research, an NGO based here in the good old USA, found that only 20% of Salvadorans who downloaded the app Chivo, that's the government digital wallet, continued to use it after spending the $30 the government gave in free credit to promote the use of the Bitcoin. Majority, the vast majority of downloads of the government's digital wallet occurred a year ago when the legal tender things happened, and almost no downloads have taken place so far in 2022. On the other hand, when I saw the crypto values go down, I got so worried. There went all our life savings. Then my broker said, Don't worry. We had bought crypto to pay for our daughter's wedding. She called us in tears, and my husband told her, Don't worry. Our crypto account was going towards my retirement, 
That's why I was so relieved to hear, don't worry. Hey, I'm Kevin. And if you've invested from ten to $10,000 or more in crypto, I've got the best news since the invention of crypto itself. As long as you made the right investment choice, you've missed out on something big this past week. All those crashing values of almost all cryptocurrencies. Why did I say almost all? Because that right investment choice was and is ZiptoCoin. You might be asking yourself, Kevin, what's so different about ZiptoCoin? And that's where I come in. You see, other digital currencies have values that fluctuate from day to day. Sometimes the fluctuations are pretty wild. And if you're not watching every minute, that can be painful. But not ZiptoCoin. It's rock solid. Its value was set at zero on day one. That's what we call the zero one advantage. And it can never change. When and if you want to convert back to old fashioned dollars, your ZiptoCoin account is available to you 24 7 plus. All my other crypto owning friends are kind of panicking right now. But as a ZiptoCoin holder, I always know right where I stand. Right about now, they're envying me. Our ZiptoCoin rep told us on day one, we could rest easy. Our account would never suddenly drop 10, 20, even 50% in a week or a day. Maybe you like roller coasters, but not for your money, your retirement fund, your investment fund, your rainy day fund. You don't have to check your ZiptoCoin account every hour or every day, not even every year. It's always where it started on day one. That's the zero-one advantage. As an accountant, I know that planning is a key part of financial planning. When the value of a crypto account is locked in from day one, that makes planning so much easier and cheaper. As I tell all my clients, excitement is great for your entertainment, but not for your money. Hi, it's Kevin again. If right about now you're thinking, hey, Kevin, this Zipto coin sounds like it's too good to be true, don't worry. It isn't. You know, there's no bad time to open a Zipto coin account, but right now when other crypto values are plunging is the perfect time to join the Zipto coin army, the growing number of folks who enjoy the peace of mind of knowing their crypto account, their Zipto coin account, is right where they left it. You know, outer space might be a nice place to visit, but for your money, there's no place like rock bottom. The 800 number on your screen is a great way to start enjoying the two greatest words in financial English. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Zipto-coin, a digital currency that buys you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. In line Manassas, Virginia, manager of the Manassas Country Club apologized this week after receiving backlash on a 9-11 special menu that included a Remember Teeny, Flight 93 Redirect, and Pentagon Pie. The menu has since been taken down, but not before some people captured it and posted it to a Facebook group. George White, a manager at the clubhouse at Aqua Harbor, issued an apology on Facebook. I apologize for those I offended with the 9-11 Seafood Sunday post. My intention was to bring attention to that horrible day 21 years ago, to honor those who lost so much, as well as those who gave everything that day. We'll have a new theme tomorrow, unquote. Deadline Provo, Utah, a fan who was prohibited from attending any BYU athletic events after being accused of using a racial slur at a women's volleyball game has been reinstated as a fan, according to a statement from Brigham Young University. 
An extensive investigation found no evidence of racist heckling during a recent game between BYU and Duke, according to BYU. The, fan was put, the ban was put on place after Duke reported the fan had heckled one of the players repeatedly with the offensive slur at a late August game. The university took immediate action and banned the individual. Officials said he was not a student. Officials have since reviewed all available video and audio recordings, security footage and raw footage from the camera feeds, which included audio of spectators. That's what you undergo when you attend a women's volleyball game these days. Authorities also reportedly reached out to more than 50 people who were at the match, including student-athletes and staff from both universities, as well as security personnel, management, and fans who were seated in the section where the slurs were allegedly heard. From our extensive review, we have not found any evidence to corroborate the allegation that fans engaged in racial heckling or uttered racist slurs at the event. story surrounding the volleyball incident took a turn a few days after when the associate athletic director said officials were still searching for the evidence that the fan in question shouted anything offensive. In a report, the officer involved noted the fan appeared to have special needs. A Duke athlete also said he had She had been threatened by the fan, but in the police report, officer wrote that the fan had approached the Duke player thinking she was a BYU BYU player who was one of his friends. The fan denied using any racial slurs. Utah governor weighed in and apologized to the fan. Germany's president apologized this week for multiple failures by his country before, during, and after the 1972 attack on the Munich Olympics. He joined his Israeli counterpart and relatives of the 11 Israeli athletes killed by Palestinian militants at the Games 50 years ago. And Placido Domingo has issued a statement apologizing to the Arena di Verona for his recent performances, according to Opera Wire. Those performances resulted in an on-stage protest from the orchestra and a subsequent letter from the local union lambasting the showcase as humiliating. Domingo left the stage early during scenes of Macbeth that he himself had selected. This happened at the end of August. Moreover, his conducting of ensuing moments from Turando Turando was so poor that members of the orchestra refused to stand with him to receive applause, a sign of protest. I'm aware that the level of my artistic performance not at the level of my expectations or yours, said Domingo's letter. There are no excuses. I recognize that during those performances I overexerted myself to be on stage and especially on the podium. Concentration is fundamental. I trusted until the end that the Positive energy of the full arena would give me the strength to move ahead with those performances in which I tried to give my best for the audience. Even though I had traveled from afar, I apologize to all the workers of the arena. And he wants to come back and do better next time. The Apologies of the Week, copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
Ladies and gentlemen, that's, that's it for this week's edition of the show. Back next week at the same time on these same radio stations or on your audio device of choice whenever you want it. And it would be just like there being other news if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you? Already. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead, and to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO New Orleans for their help with this broadcast. The email address for this broadcast, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, and the playlist of the music heard here, as well as so much other stuff to see, hear, and read, all at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter, Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Changes Easy Radio Network. So long from the Crescent City.